Dear listener, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, this is going to be a terrific episode. I probably say that about all my shows, but I think this one is very special. My guests this week are two storytellers, my friend Camlyn Giddens, a teacher and filmmaker who grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and since then has been on a journey exploring and growing in her spiritual identity. And my second guest is my friend, the poet and author Shonda Buchanan. Her most recent book is Black Indian, a memoir that explores her family history and heritage as an American Indian and African American. So dear listener, it's time to get into some interfaith-ish. I have to say, I am so excited to have both of you on. The more and more that I've been thinking about this the last couple of days, oh boy, I can't wait to have <laughs> Sean and Camlin talking together, these great storytellers, and have such awesome energy. And so, yeah, I'm very Thanks excited. so much for asking me. I'm, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Same here. I'm a great fan of of this of the show. And Shonda, yeah. I'm just so glad to now be introduced to your work. And Jack, you just get together really cool people. So thank you. I know. Yeah. I know. Good to be in the Pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm lucky to be to 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 know so many cool people. So I want to ground this conversation in this idea of stories because mm-hmm. I think telling stories and um and dissecting, you know, the meaning behind stories and the magic that's in stories, I think is so part is so much a part of, of what I see reflected in the work that you both do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, these are, are stories that are, um, that oftentimes have a lot of um, struggle and, and there's, there's some, um, probably some, you know, pain that's, that's part of it, but it's always, I see the work that you, you both do that's really infused with a sense of, of joy mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I really would just want to, I want to start there and talk about, talk about your stories um, and, and in particular your family's stories. So um, Shonda, can I start with you? Could, could I ask you to tell us a little <laughs> bit about, about where you grew up and, and in particular, what was your religious or spiritual upbringing like in that context? So I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo. And my, I guess the storytelling piece, I'll start with that. So my narrative has always been, we were multiracial. It's always been, you are French, Indian, German, and a little bit of black. And Mm -hmm. that kind of set me on my path of, you know, discovery. Uh, like who who are we really like what what indian blood do we have what american indian mm-hmm. blood do we have and so of course you know i wrote the memoir black indian around mm-hmm. that <laughs> research question but um in 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 that it was a lot of me learning what it meant to be indian learning relearning traditions relearning ceremony uh, i didn't grow up with that i grew up with uh, when I finally came along, there were um, six, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the sixth child. So there were five before me. 
five, mm. five siblings before me. And apparently my mom said that those siblings, my mom, my sister was like, we used to go to church all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Because when I came along, apparently my mom had excommunicated herself from the Baptist church. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. She didn't, she didn't believe, she didn't show me that she believed in those kinds of values and precepts. Uh, mm. <clears throat> my father was a Baptist preacher. So I did go to his church, a very small, beautiful, white country church in, in Michigan, in Kalamazoo. So I went to his church, mostly family. What I knew about Christianity is what I learned from my dad. What I knew about choices in, in how you can choose what to believe came from my mom. Mm. Yeah. So, so, and, and so that it, it initially came from my mom until I was 16 and I, and I, uh, 16, between 16, 17 and 18, I started just kind of doing my own spiritual like work. It was mm-hmm. really, really fascinating because I would do things like bless the homes we moved into, or I would mm. do some, you know, homage to nature and water and, land and just and i didn't know that just naturally naturally something that you you felt compelled to do yeah just uh not even feel like like not even thinking about it but knowing i had to pay respect to nature right and and so how did you interact then with with native american culture the communities the history uh growing up was that an active part of your life as well Mm-mm. it was all oral history it was all oral mm. narrative in terms of who mm. we belong to and a part of that book and a part of my poetry as well i'm always kind of looking for sure. the ghosts you know like hey, why don't we know why don't we have dream catchers why don't we have feathers and turquoise and all those stereotypes, you know, that, you know, Mm. uh, indigenous nations are supposed to have. And I realized that a part of, a part of what my family experienced was a rupture. Um, And it was, it was definitely a spiritual rupture. It was a disconnection or a displacement from our spirituality, our traditions, our, our, that, you know, that kind of American Indian culture. And, and so, what I started doing as a youngin, I could, like I found that when I really started doing powwows and sweat mm. lodges and you know other kinds of ceremony, it was like oh this, like the Baptist church was my father's side of it, mm-hmm. and my mom didn't actually have anything that was organized, even though we knew she believed in something. But when I landed in a sweat lodge, I was like, this is it. Like, Mm. this is the spiritual, like, this is my connection to my spiritual energy is right here on this ground. Was that a specific moment or or, or a catalyst that set you Mm. uh, into that discovery um, uh, as a young person? Or was it something that happened over a longer period of time? Uh, Immediate when I went to my first sweat lodge, it was immediate. Uh, I went to my first sweat lodge when I was, see, I, I count everything by my daughter's age. My daughter was nine <laughs> when we started, like a, oh, wow. such an okay. old person, right? So she was nine when we started going. So that means I was tw- wow. 20, yes. I was 26, somewhere around there, 26 or 27. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. All right. Well, I want to I want to pick up on you know what it was like for that next chapter for you and and exploring that identity. But I do want to I want to bring Camlin into this as well and talk a little bit about your family history as well. Could you tell us a little bit about what was what was your upbringing and what was your household? Yeah, sure. Christianity is basically what covers my my family background. Although in some areas it might be Catholic and others it might be Baptist and and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, and so. Same thing with my father. My father's family were mostly mixed with Catholic and Baptist. And my mother and father both joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in their adult life. My mother hmm. met some some Mormons in California when they were living there um, when she was 15 and decided she wanted to join but wasn't allowed to until she was 18. And my father... That was something that, that her parents put on her? Her mother, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, because, I mean, this is back in, like, the 80s. And so there was very much an idea, like, this is a white church. That's a white church. Why would you Why would you mm. do that? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, the, and the, not only that, but just, like, distrust. Anything that's unfamiliar, anything that, that, that hasn't been vetted by family history and family tradition is just... It's, it's perceived as danger, especially when you're a single parent. So I can imagine that that would have been scary. Do you have a sense of what it was that attracted each of your parents to this very foreign, perhaps, mm. uh, church? Good question. I would say for my mother, well, one, she was able to watch and observe this entire family. She was very well brought into the family of her Mormon friend and got to watch and observe their love, their family dynamics, how they navigated conflict even. Um, and she also was really attracted to the idea of prophets and leaders called of God that you could follow. She she really latched onto that and loved, she's, she's a reader and she loved reading the Book of Mormon and still does to this day. And my father, he he's always been grounded in God and in prayer and also family in that concept and that um, the ideal of family. And so he joined, he was in, both of my parents were in the entertainment industry and still are a little bit. And my dad was a performer and at one point decided that he couldn't in good conscience perform anymore when he still valued God and family. And he just felt like there was a conflict between how he was living and what he wanted. And then of course, the next day, like students from BYU, Brigham Young University in Utah were in the area and told him, you can dance for God at BYU. And and uh, <laughs> sold it essentially, and so okay. <laughs> he he was not he was not a member of the church, but just decided to transfer to Brigham Young University to experience what that was like, and eventually joined once he got here. And and on balance for you as as a young person growing up in that community, mm-hmm. how how did you feel? Did you feel um, that uh, similar embrace that your parents did mm-hmm. uh, right away? My parents raised me up with God as the foundation first, and they highly emphasized direct communication with God. Like even when I was an elementary school kid and asking my mom these questions of life or what to do if I was in a situation, she would tell me to pray about it before she would give any kind of wisdom or advice. She wouldn't even speak her own mind. She would tell me to go to God first. And so I'm I'm grateful that like what I latched onto was that more than the church, but the church gave a lot of structure and a lot of practices and a lot of community that was nice to grow up with. And and from what I've seen, you 
you served a mission, mm -hmm. right? And you're a singer, so you, you've sung mm -hmm. in a, a number of different things and you've made some films that have to do with the LDS community. Mm -hmm. So it seems like as a young person, you were you were immersed in it and, mm -hmm. and you found outlets for your arts and, and service and stuff as well, no? I sure did. I sure did. I was very lucky to find outlets and, and friends and like-minded artists and community members to help express some of these feelings and questions. So Shonda, coming coming back to you, I, I, tell us a little bit about, about those, um, that emerging awareness of your Native American heritage um, and and negotiating that as someone who identifies as both, uh, as your title of your book suggests, Black and Indian? Yeah, so the reclaiming for me, um, the first moment that I sat in the sweat lodge, I knew that that was, a, that was the place that I belonged, the place where I, I felt, you know, I could hear my heart beating, I could hear my spirituality just, you know, embrace that moment and then, uh, it, then it became a period of what does it mean to be somebody who has American Indian blood, you know, who grew up in the Baptist church, who, you know, what does that, what does it look like? And so for me, it looked like, okay, learning some of the songs. And one of the mm -hmm. first songs that I learned uh, in the sweat lodge was a Shumash children's honoring song, which is, um, uh, a, a song that we sing, you know, basically to honor the children in the, you know, whoever was in the sweat lodge, but the children of the people in the lodge. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then just over a period of years, learning more songs. So this is basically in the mountains of California, participating in many ceremonies, like a bear dance ceremony, peyote ceremonies, just really kind of learning how to be respectful um, learning how to pay attention and to learn, mm. learning how to learn, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it became a place where I could locate spirituality. Like, okay. for me, Christianity was something that my father did. And mm -hmm. even though I still have the, you know, I still have that Christian upbringing. I still, I know my Bible, <laughs> you know, I've got, <laughs> I keep Bibles, I, you know because there was a certain point where I went back to my dad and I was like, dad, Hey, I'm participating in these ceremonies. I'm doing this. What do you think? Also, dad, I learned a lot about, you know, the Christian Bible and how it was formed and, you know, I'm studying Gnosticism. And so what do you think about mm. this? And, you know, just kind of talking to him about, you know, his, his spirituality too. And he finally said to me, he said, you know, he called me fella. He said, you know, fella, he said, as, as long as you believe in something, as long as you believe in a God, he said, it's okay. Like what, whatever you want to do, that's, that's good. As long as you believe in something. And it was like a release for me. Um, and cause I did at the time I was believing, I was practicing dancing West African dance. I started mm -hmm. studying the Orishas and that traditional West African Nigerian religion, um, and, but at the same time, going to sweat lodges. So I was trying to essentially make my own religion <laughs> mm -hmm. and teach mm -hmm. my daughter our own like appreciation for uh, spirituality uh, mm -hmm. in, um, I'm going to say this word, but it's, but it's not in defiance of religion, but mm. or in opposition to the concept of religion, but really as a replacement for the word religion. 
This is a mm-hmm. spiritual practice. And that's what mm-hmm. I learned. That's what, and I learned that a lot. And then also starting to dance, you know, in powwows, I'm a, I'm a women's traditional dancer as well. That's a whole nother um, level of learning, learning and reclaiming those traditions. Right. But what were some of the struggles that you encountered um, either with, with, with Native American communities um, as, as a person who also identifies as black or with black communities claiming Native American heritage? You know, that's such a fantastic question. I, I imagine it, it might be a little bit like uh, being a black Mormon. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, then, and people saying, what? What did you say? Did you know? Hmm. So when I would say to some of my uh, African-American friends who, you know, didn't know, they, of course, visibly, no one sees that, sees or says that I'm Indian or American Indian. And when I said, yeah, my people are Kahari and Eastern Band Cherokee, and there's Choctaw on my dad's side, and my aunt's uh, family tree pedigree says uh, Delaware Cherokee from for one oh. of my great grandmothers. And, and so they were like, why do you have to know all of that? Like, why do you have to claim Indian? Why can't you, you, you know, American Indian? Why can't you just stay black? Mm. And I'm like, because <laughs> that's not the, it, it, it's um, being black. It, it, I am incredibly proud. I know what my people have gone through to reclaim and empower themselves, but I don't have I shouldn't have to choose. I shouldn't have to mm. choose. And uh, so when I went into American Indian communities and mo- you know, most of them are definitely embracing, like most of them were, uh, yeah, this is, this is wonderful that you know your people, that you've got you know, some of your history and you know, you're still researching it. And then there were others where I wasn't light enough you know, I wasn't, yeah. I didn't have a tribal enrollment card, uh, you know, which a tribal enrollment card, you know, gets to say who's actually Indian. And, you know, mm. it's a federally recognized card or a state recognized card, which was developed by white people. And, mm-hmm. and then because uh, it, it became kind of a status symbol, um, uh, later, because then you could actually say, I'm an enrolled member of this tribe and my land is here, um, which really is, uh, it's, it's beautiful to know your nations, but it's also beautiful to know our history and to know how your tribe was removed on the Trail of Tears. And, and many of them know, you know, many, many full bloods who grew up on reservations know that. Mm-hmm. But if, if they know that, why can't someone who claims that Indian heritage be given the same kinds of um, caveats of, oh, you were displaced too. Oh, you were enslaved. Oh, you guys were mixed bloods. Oh, you, you were forced. You, you all uh, um, got off the, the trail of tears. You decided to go um, create settlements elsewhere. So I have experienced some racism in Indian country, but I have more so experienced um, embrace and acceptance and uh, and a gratitude, you know, that I'm being respectful in the way that I practice uh, practice this culture. 
Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, you also made the connection there of this, of this tension in identity, you know, a little bit of, of uh, what Camlin um, was, was talking about with uh, maybe a bit of her parents' experience. I'm, I'm curious for you, Camlin, if that, if, if that was something that you had to negotiate as well as a young person growing up, um, uh, a, a black person in, mm -hmm. in the Mormon community. Yes, yes, there are, there were a couple instances and still sometimes are where there's a conflict between how I myself as a, as a black spiritual woman and, a, and not only that, but a Giddens woman, like, cause again, Giddens, we have our own culture as well, but like how we express our worship and spirituality and how that's not the norm in, in other dominant, whether it's LDS or Christian or whatever. Cause when you mentioned like dancing Shonda I thought of praise dance and how much mm. how moved I am my parents recently did a praise dance performance in New York and wow. I don't know if anyone else was as moved as I was to see my parents doing that and how meaningful that is and I'm, and I'm never going to see that in a church building I hope yeah. I do but like I really don't expect to um so yeah there is and you're saying because of because of the the dominant uh European uh, strand culture rap. yeah okay <laughs> yeah. okay yeah 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 I would definitely see that in in different churches, like in the South or even in the East. Like, it just I just have to go to the right church, is what I'm saying. And it, but it, and it would not be an LDS church, unfortunately. I see. Okay. Yeah. I remember growing up, we would like go to church, and we would come home and immediately blast the gospel music in our house, like kind of to, like <laughs> make up for the hours that we didn't get to hear something like that. So yeah, it's it's a thing. So who who were then the the figures? Um, in the LDS church history, uh, I'm thinking, you know, uh, black Mormons, but maybe specifically stories of women, particularly black women in the LDS church that um, that inspired you. Hmm. Um, Did you have a model? Did you have somebody that you looked up to? So I'll be honest. Okay. <laughs> honestly, I would I would say my mother. Honestly, above above all. So in in our history, unfortunately, the, the kind of solitary black woman that we talk about a lot is Jane Manning James, who truly, like, my mom loves that woman. She, I wish I could have met her. Yes, she has an inspiring story of, of guiding her family from Illinois to Utah um, on foot to, to follow this faith that, that meant so much to her and how she would support a community that only occasionally saw and heard her and and so she's she's a woman of faith. Jane Manning, Jane Manning James is someone that we talk about, and she's in the first generation mm -hmm. of the LDS. Yes, she is. Yes, she met Joseph Smith and and lived with them for quite a time, actually, as well. So, yeah, she's one of the more original Black pioneers of the church. But other than that, the sad thing is, I haven't heard very much beyond Jane, and I'm sure that's that's partly on me. I haven't done my research to find out, but it's sad that I have to, I kind of think. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, right. That says something. It does. Like it does. So honestly, like my mother truly, and, and not just for me, but I think a lot of members in my community um, see my mom in this way as well as being someone who exemplifies a strong woman, a black LDS woman, I would say. I'm so curious. Can I ask a question, Jack? 
Yeah, sure. I'm curious about Biddy Mason. She was uh, she was technically Mormon when she was uh, enslaved, right? Right. And, and they walked yes. from Utah. Mm-hmm. I think it was Utah. No, there was a stop. There was a stop that her master um, stopped someplace, and then they came to California. Is Biddy Mason one of your role yes. models? Or, or yeah. So I, yes, I do remember Biddy Mason, and I. Because yeah, she she ended up in California. That's correct, right? That's where mm-hmm. she where she gained, finally gained her freedom and yeah. became the, one of the first African American women millionaires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, she's really cool too. And these are people. So yeah, I've I've heard that story, and and there's there's some joy and appreciation for that. But if you're talking about people that I intimately know well. And yeah. that I've taken time to know it would it would still be my mother. But yes, I'm so gl- I'm so glad you know who Biddy Mason is, Shonda. Yeah, way to way to pull that one out, Shonda. Yeah, I, I way to do your research. <laughs> no, I've studied Biddy Mason. She's she's an icon in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. my uh, my daughter. Uh, so she married uh, rather. I'm so sorry. Her daughter married an Owens, and my daughter is an Owens as well. Wow. You know, and her dad's people were from here. So we're just like, there's got to be a six degree connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But her story was just so powerful for me. And then I think later on, she went to she went on to found one of the first one of the first um, AME churches or something. A- the AME. Yeah. Mm-hmm. AME church here. So talk about. Uh, oh, interesting. So she was in the LDS community for a time a, and then... As an enslaved woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because of the family that yes. she was with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Well, okay. So this idea of transitioning through your spiritual life, I'm, I'm curious for you, Camlin. Mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about, about the journey that you've been on and, and how it is that you uh, identify today. Um, mm-hmm. In, in, in relation to your LDS upbringing? Yeah, sure. So it'll be really, <laughs> it'll be really hard to, to kind of try to find highlights along this journey, but I'll start by saying the transition or transformation, evolution, whatever you want to call it, has happened in large part because I feel that there were dimensions of God that were not being developed in, in the ways that I was practicing and people around me were practicing aspects of God that I felt were missing were the mother or the feminine God, the God that is the self, um, the God that is the earth, the God that is a social justice warrior and activist, the God that does shadow work, the God that is all about interbeing. And this the interbeing kind of depths and dimensions of God is what has really brought me to embrace the the interfaith term or even just spiritual practice. I love that Shonda mentioned that. Like I'm just, I I love living in simple spiritual practice because I've, it can be everywhere and everything. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit about, about this term interbeing. What does that mean to you? <sighs> to me, it's, it's, the word integration also comes up for me. Um, Unfortunately, I feel like in some in some circles, there's a lot of separation that happens in order to teach values. Um, this is bad. This is good. This is sin. This is holy. Um, or this is ideal and this is not. Or this is of God and that is not. And and I see interbeing and in 
integration as being able to absorb and take everything as it comes and transforming it into whatever can help grow and benefit your spirit and the spirit of others. So like, I I hope I said that in a way that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also the aspect of interbeing where I am everything. I am connected to everything. I love like one of my favorite phrases that, that Jesus Christ said at one point is the phrase I am and just leaving it at that, that I am in everything and of everything and I think that's important, especially when it comes to, I mean, not understanding the concept of interbeing is what leads to social injustice or or even family conflicts. Any kind of separation we are doing from ourselves to another person can lead to conflict. But if we understand that we are all connected and we are all of the same things, like I just, I think it is kind of the heart of most spiritualities yeah. so so what have been then some of the as you've been growing in your in your along your path mm-hmm. um what have been some of the other traditions that you've learned about or the or maybe texts mm-hmm. that you've drawn from sure um and in, inspired you um okay so there's i feel like there are three rivers you could say three rivers um that have done that and or traditions and whatnot one the book um books by cynthia bourgeau she's an episcopalian priest um kind of of the family of richard Rohr, and so in the teachings of the universal christ her book um wisdom jesus or the meaning of mary magdalene those books rocked my world um i love i and i to this day it's it's probably among my favorite texts, um, as well as like the gospel of Thomas or, or, um, the, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, which was translated by Jean de Quillon, if I'm saying her name right, she's French. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting into a lot of, um, scriptures or texts or scrolls just kind of uncovered over time from different parts of the world that have meant a lot to me and have kind of rounded out this image or idea of the Christ, which has been really cool. Um, another river would be, um, honestly, the LGBTQ plus community. And I, <laughs> I know that that's maybe not necessarily seen as a spiritual, like, I'm, I'm not calling it a church, but one of the things that I was hungry for was an active faith, an active God, an active love. And I see a lot of active love within the LGBTQ plus community. And so honestly, just being part of this community has has helped me live and practice what a lot of these internal beliefs have been developing into my whole life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the third river would be a lot of women who are like Shonda, who are doing ancestry work or who are doing trauma work. To me, that is great spiritual integration for me so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i think that's an interesting stream with 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 the both of your stories also is i mean obviously the lds community in and of itself is is really big into history and and um and i guess helping people understand their their family lineage right and i know that that's it's controversial on on some levels for for folks who who maybe are are not 
or, or sort of at a at an arm's length from that, or or seeing it from a distance, and aren't quite sure what the intentions are there. But mm -hmm. the folks that I know in the LDS community uh, tend to be very passionate about things like understanding your family stories and stuff. And 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 Shonda, I see that you know that's obviously huge in your in your work as well, knowing those stories and and building that relationship with your with your ancestors. Yeah, it's incredibly important. I think once you find the language and once you find the practice is to just, you know, to uh, do it as, as best you can, I guess I'll say it like that. But the one thing we always say is just, you know, making sure you're respectful of these ways. There are some uh, many, many um, uh, levels of uh, uh, getting into a certain kind of American Indian spirituality as well as African spirituality. Um, and so for me, it's always been about how can I, how can I celebrate my ancestry? How can I celebrate my ancestors and doing those, those really difficult ceremonies that really proved um, magical to me were important. Uh, and, and I have to also say, I love that you mentioned Mary Magdalene. Um, because if we're thinking of uh, the characters in the Bible as African or you know, mm -hmm. as Black, mm -hmm. you know, and we're thinking about Mary Magdalene as a powerful woman who wrote her own scripture, who, you know, the, with the Nag Hammadi scriptures, right? Exactly. And so I also studied that because as a woman, I was, I was also looking for women who were po like powerful or women who were sure of themselves or mm -hmm. certain of their language, of their spirituality. And that was another thing that my dad allowed me to do when, I, when he was like, just as long as you believe in something, be a good person. And I saw, you know, Mary Magdalene was someone too. I've actually been to the church of Mary Magdalene in, in um, Oxford. And it was really powerful, you know, to be a woman who knows I am an African-American woman. I'm a black Indian woman. Mm -hmm. I am a woman. And to go and to say, okay, I'm an, on that level. I'm also joining. I'm also lighting a candle for that, that um, the gender of me or that part of my spirituality. So I really love that you mm -hmm. brought Mary Magdalene in. <laughs> okay. When the pandemic's over, let's go together. Okay. You yes, gotta see me. <laughs> yes. Let's go to Oxford. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's kind of, for me, uh, I think it's all of, I think it's all of our responsibilities as pe no matter what we practice to give allowance for what other people practice. Do you know what I mean? Ooh, if it's not something that's hurting you, it's not something that they are trying to put on you, which um, I have had happen in certain instances uh, in, in Christianity and um, it, or, or even with um, the uh the people who knock on the door the um jehovah's witnesses and with the pamphlets and it's like if you don't believe in this you're going to go to hellfire you're going to burn in hellfire if you don't believe in he hell heaven and hell you don't believe in anything and that's not that is not helpful or healthy to my spirit as a kid it was not absolutely it was not and for me it's like as long as you allow for the cosmology of spirituality we're all going to be okay. Like we're all going to be good. <laughs> so Shonda, what, what then are, are some of the practices you mentioned um, a few of them over the course of your stories? Um, but what are the practices that you are involved with that, that help to deepen your connection uh, with your own ancestors? 
So the sweat lodge uh, was definitely a way that helped me deepen my practice with my ancestors, dancing West African dance, participating in Orisha ceremonies and traditions mm -hmm. on the African side and acknowledging in Orisha, you know, that I have a, an African spirit guide, you know, who looks over me, um, participating in uh, uh, certain other ceremonies, um, we, we call them the highest ceremonies where I, you know, I, 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 I have the vision. So yes, I did do a vision quest for four years. It was incredibly hard, but incredibly um, powerful. It helped mm -hmm. me uh, answer questions that I had been unable to answer prior to mm. that. And then it also gave me a sense of balance and it propelled me to go on and do more ceremony because I felt like in this sacrifice, sacrificing in this way helps me understand what my, my ancestors sacrificed in order to get me here. And so I can do this for you and I can do this for the, he the health and well-being of my family right now and the mm. health and well-being of this planet. You know, I can sacrifice, you know, if, if prayer and this kind of prayer is a place for me to do, uh, some people would call it penance. We don't call it penance. We call it sacrifice. We call it getting well. <laughs> you know, we call it um, uh, uh, honoring your ancestors, honoring, you know, practicing that spirituality. And so those are some of the ceremonies that really brought me closer to these ways. And can you describe for folks who, I think, you know, people might have at least a very superficial idea of of you know the, the a sweat lodge or maybe a, a a superficial idea of what it's like to to you know be at a dance, um, but for the vision quest, what is yes please what does that what does that look like experientially? What is what what is it that you are are doing during that experience? It's a secret. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 it's something we actually have to do in order to understand it. But I can just give you the, sure. the precepts of it. Um, right. So uh, people do it in different ways. Not every American Indian tribe does vision quests if it's not a part of their tradition. Mm -hmm. um, it was for me, my people, my folks migrated from North Carolina into Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I was born, and that's a longer story. But what I learned in the mountains of California was where, and this is out west, you know, right? And so the 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 plains people out west did these kinds of ceremonies. So for instance, a vision quest is you going out into nature for a period of time with no food, no water, and you are out there and you are praying hard and you are waiting for your vision because the vision will help the people. The vision will help you in your life. And, uh, and again, people do it, some people do it for one or two or three or four days, you know, um, and some people say when you get your vision, then it's over. The ceremony's done, and then you can, at least that part of the ceremony is done. Hambleche, the Lakota call it, Ogalala Sioux, and Lakota call it. Um, and so that part of it is done, and then you can then you can take that message back to the people, or you can you can you can live in a in a different kind of way because you got that vision. So that's that's can the vision quest. Can you can you share? Do you feel comfortable? sharing what some of the messages are that you brought back to your family or your community? Um, I can share them. It basically, one of my messages was that I am a healer and that I need to respect that, that energy. Uh, wow. I'm a healer with language 
And I needed to pay more attention to how I interacted with people Mm -hmm. through my words and my writing uh, and my prayer. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, even as a child, I knew there were things that my mom didn't tell us. I knew there were things uh, that she couldn't even explain to me in terms of uh, uh, spiritual practices. But but I dreamed, you know, I dreamt a lot about... um, things and and uh i'm truncating this um because i'm like oh i guess a lot of this is in the book too but um so for me my women my mom my aunts my sisters we would communicate through dreams um we knew when something was wrong with someone through a dream and we still have have that ability for the most part um Hmm. but i did not know that until i started just like researching and reading about certain tribes that the iroquois have a dream society and several other nations have dream societies where they have dream festivals where everybody goes to sleep. And when you wake up, you tell everybody your dream because there are messages there. So, mm. you know, so, so when I was doing my, my vision quest, it was pay attention to your language, pay attention to how you interact with people and make sure to protect your healing energy. <laughs> you are a healer, mm. but protect mm. that. Well, I cannot wait to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I could I could ask questions uh, all day long of the both of you. Yeah, but uh, a big part of a big part of our show is is that we have uh, the guests ask each other questions. Mm-hmm. And I have the sense that um, uh, the two of you could probably go on for a while with your, yeah. your questions of each other as well. So I want to I want to just hold some space for for that. Um, Shonda, do you have any uh, questions for Camlin to, to understand more about about her story or her journey? I'm, I'm really curious, like who introduced you to Mary Magdalene? I'm mm-hmm. really curious about that. So. The person who introduced me to Mary Magdalene was one of my, my, my witness friend, Amber Richardson. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the practices that I, I love, I was smiling while you were talking because I just have a circle of friends. We all have mixed backgrounds, but we are creating our own rituals. And Mm -hmm. I would, I look forward to doing some of my own research to, to find what is authentic to my people. But for right now, we will do things like an ancestor dinner or an anger circle or whatnot and our talk about our trauma work. And so she's a woman who's just like a couple years older than me, but who's been doing a lot of work in her own personal life. And she encountered that book and passed it on to me and it, mm. it changed my world. It was really awesome. So we've, we've done a research. We want to take that sojourn to South Southern France, even in the caves and, and do all of that. We're yes. We're so <laughs> Thing I plan to do too, so I think we definitely need to talk. Perfect. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. Yes. We need, we you, need to exchange information. Yeah. Have you explored the like the discussions about like the Black Madonna and the connections to Mary Magdalene and and because yeah. you emphasize like this can be a black figure of of significance yeah. to us. Well, yeah, and so I I want to say this too. Um, so my my foundation is the American Indian and the African traditions. However, we have the African traditions. We have the Orishas, mm-hmm. uh, the American Indian tradition. We've got Corn Maiden. We've got some other powerful women figures, right? Mm-hmm. And so a part of that women's tradition for me is okay. If I'm 
if I'm participating and honoring all of my ancestors, which is what we say we do, all my relations, right? A whole matakuyase, all my relations. That means I do have some, uh, some, some uh, Scottish ancestry. Mm-hmm. I, there's some something. <laughs> it's in my DNA. Over thirty, you know, thirty percent of Scottish British ancestry. So that means there's some powerful woman figure over there that I should also say all my relations to. It's just the white people never showed up to our family reunions. So <laughs> I'm saying, you know, that I knew of. Um, yeah, so, but for me, yes, I did the Madonna, the black Madonna figure, um, like knowing and, you know, knowing the knowing that people in other countries celebrate that African connection to um, the Madonna, to, uh, uh, well, I'll just say, um, knowing that makes me feel like there is that bridge to Africa, you know, and there is that sense that powerful women have have continued a kind of spirituality or a spiritual practice that I have now inherited. And I just need to pay attention um, and, and, and I've inherited it and I'm also transferring it to my daughter so that we can continue to honor ourselves as women. Um, and for me to honor the spiritual practices that I grew up in and then also that I adopted. Awesome. So, yeah. How about for you? Wow. It's been interesting because um, I've had I've had some dreams and. So where like, whether the woman is me, sometimes it's another, sometimes it's maybe how I'm envisioning Mary Magdalene. Um, and then there are just some books that I've read and come across. And, and like you, like I had no idea that there was this figure that cultures across the world for ages have been discussing, contemplating, emulating, um, sojourning to visit, like all of this. So it's, it's, Something that I'm I'm new to, but I'm so excited about it. I am so yeah. so excited and thrilled. Yeah, um, no, same same here. And, yeah. and there's so much. There's so much to learn. Um, Jack asked you about uh, a book or a couple of books that mm-hmm. um, that spoke to you. I, I want to say anything by um, Joy Harjo. Joy Harjo is our current poet laureate who. Okay just got um, asked to be uh, to do a second term. She's Muskogee Creek. So any of her books- Is that true? Is that, yeah. that that's true? Joy Harjo got, got asked to stay on a little while longer? Yes. Wow. Wow. Yep. Is that precedented? <laughs> I, um, <laughs> it was this only, this is the second time it's happened. That's amazing. Yeah. Ruth? Is, that, is it kind of like a do-over? <laughs> like, like, hey, let's, maybe you want to be associated yeah. with a different administration? No, no. What they said was poetry, um, she continually talks about how poetry helps us find our balance hmm. and helps us heal. Uh, and so, which is why, you know, so any, which is why they're giving her, you know, another term because we need that right now. We need right. balance. <laughs> You know, poets are the ones who are the voice of the revolution. Uh, poets are the ones who testify or who call out an ill or um, who help us to articulate uh, something happening in society that we normally in our everyday lives are in, unable to articulate. And Joy Harjo has consistently done that in her poetry, right. in her memoir, Crazy Brave. Um, 
a really fantastic, humble, humble woman. Um, and someone actually too, she was born Muscogee Creek, but I know she has done um, a, a ceremony in other cultures. She's a jazz musician, like she plays a saxophone. Mm-hmm. I mean, she hasn't, um, even at her inauguration, she was like playing, she had a band. So she has stepped into a space of I'm embracing of course my nations, of course my culture, but also my womanhood, my creative energy, uh, just an incredible role model for me, I will say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't re- recognize that. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. As we're closing here, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there, w- there could be many, many questions, um, and I hope that, that you two will take the opportunity to ask uh, each other many, many more questions <laughs> by staying in contact and, and, and hopefully... Uh, uh, going on a trip together to see, <laughs> see the church at Oxford. And then we'll report back on the show. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be amazing. Um, so, but I want to, uh, I want to ask, um, since I, it, I know that, that music is such a big part of both of your lives. Um, Shonda, you mentioned the, the child song at, um, at, at earlier in the program. And I know that Camelin, you're a fabulous singer as well. It, if, if I'm not if I'm not asking too much to put you on the spot, would each of you be able to share uh, a short song that that means something to you? means means a lot to you? Mm, sure, Cameron, you can go first if you want. Okay, um, my grandmother, um, she um, she we lost her earlier this year. Um, it was she was called. And she had her own vision and journeys that led her to starting her own church in South Carolina. And so um, this was a song that was really meaningful to her that we played at her funeral. And it's called You Know My Name. Um, Tasha Cobb sings it. And I'll just do a little bit of it. You know my name. You know my name. You know my name. You know my name. And oh, how you walk with me. And oh, how you talk with me. Oh, how you tell me that I am your own. That was beautiful. Thank you. It's a modern, sorry, that was a short bit, but it's a modern kind of rendition of, I think, In the Garden. The song, I come to the garden it's it's really cool. I actually recommend listening to both of those songs next to each other to see how it. Goes. Yeah, now now I know what I'm going to be listening to on the drive home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I love Great. that. Thank you. For me, I'll do the uh, just a, a little bit of the Shimash Children's Honoring Song. And and by the way, that's the the land that I'm that I that I'm on right now is the Shimash uh, Tampa mm. Gabrielano land in, in California, and, and there are many other nations here as well. So this is the Shumash Children's Honoring Song. Mm-hmm. 
That song always gives me chills when you sing that, Shonda, because oh. I'm 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 brought I'm brought back to <laughs> when the you were when you were yeah. chanting when our daughter was born. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and true. and Shonda was in the delivery room with with her daughter yeah. and my wife Ruth and me and and just the the energy of the place filling up with your songs. Mm -hmm. We were, we were, our, me and my ancestors, all of our ancestors were present and we were mm. ushering her in with those, with those mm. songs. Age. Oh, wow. we felt that. We felt that so strongly. Thank you. Very cool. Oh, welcome. <laughs> well, this has been such a, a <laughs> gift to talk to the, to the both of you. Um, Camlin, can you, can you share uh, where people can find out more about your work and, um, and where they might be able to see some of your films? Sure. Um, yes, I'm, I feel like I'm growing in my, in my storytelling and sharing and in the platforms, but I do have a YouTube channel. There's a couple, you can just type in my name, Camlin Giddens and different videos will pop up or my channel will pop up. I also worked on a channel called welcome table productions with my friend Amber that I mentioned. And there's some great uh, performances also for, yeah, on YouTube. for people who want to hear more of your, your beautiful singing. Thank you. And, and Shonda, how can folks find out um, about, about Black Indian and where to find your other books as well? So they can go to my website. It's my first and last name, S-H-O-N-D-A, Buchanan, B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N.com, ShondaBuchanan.com. You can also go to my Instagram, at uh, ShondaBuchanan. Uh, my book is uh, was published by Wayne State University Press, and they have a page for me as well. And there's a, a link to buy the book there. And then also Amazon, um, and you can buy the book there as well. And uh, I, I, I just, I, I'm excited to say I'm in a second printing now. So a I know. So I'm, I'm pretty happy that people are still, it was published in 2019. And so schools are using it, um, you know, uh, NPR, it's, uh, this is so amazing. NPR put me uh, in like a pantheon of writers uh, saying, read Black Indian to learn more about institutional racism. Uh, wow. And this is in the middle of like Black Lives Matter because they mm -hmm. were like, you know, we need books that talk about the Black experience. And so they included my book in that. I'm, I was so grateful. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah. Congratulations. So that's where you can find it. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, thanks to both of you for, for being on the show, and, um, and thanks for your friendship. Thanks See. so much, Jack. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, I'm so grateful. Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. Thanks again to my dear friends, Shonda and Camlin. I love the energy and connections we found between their stories and experiences. That's what this show is all about, dear listeners. I'm so excited. And I really do hope they go on that trip together to see the Church of Mary Magdalene in Oxford. That sounds awesome. Be sure to check out Shonda's books and Camlin's films. I'll have links in the show notes. As always, I want to shout out my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And of course, thank you, dear listener, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of interfaith-ish episodes wherever you find and enjoy podcasts. Follow us on social media at interfaith-ish. Leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. And keep writing us about the interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaith-ish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to W-O-W-D 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week streaming online at TacomaRadio.org. Happy Thanksgiving!